If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. On Father's Day, we get to uh, honor fathers and give thanks to uh, dads across uh, our church and across the states and across the world. When I was thinking about what to preach for this uh, Sunday, I had finished Malachi a couple of weeks ago, and so I'm eventually going to get to the book of Mark. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, through the summer, go through a couple different things. And uh, Psalm 1 uh, was the first message that, uh, first passage that uh, Chris Anderson, who was a, who's a pastor, uh, was a pastor and was a speaker at our camp, and he spoke from Psalm 1, and it's kind of been ringing in my heart and my mind, and uh, he went uh, you weren't there to hear it, and uh, the teens aren't going to remember it, and I'm not going to, I don't remember his notes, I didn't take notes well enough to remember, but it's a psalm that was just ringing in my heart, and I thought, what a great psalm to look at on Father's Day, and if I could, if we could say, what is a person that would be a great dad? What would be a description of a great man? What would be a description of a godly person? And we would see it in Psalm 1, a description here. If I asked all the dads in the room, would you want to be known as a godly father? Well, hopefully, you would say yes. I would think everybody everybody would say, I want to be a good dad, but hopefully, you also have a desire to have be a godly father, one that follows God. If I asked moms, parents, any person, young or old, hopefully, if you're here today at a church worshiping together with us, if I said, do you want to be godly, the, the answer to that question would be yes. If the answer to that question is no, I don't care to be godly and I don't want to be godly, before we even start into the message, I'd encourage you to check your heart and submit to God or repent and say, I do want to be godly. Godliness and being righteous with God, being blessed by God is something that we should want. That is something we should desire. We're going to look at today a simple truth from the Word of God and, and very simple psalm that probably many of you have memorized, but we're going to look at this, this idea and this that the blessed person is a person who follows God and loves His Word. A judged person is a person who disobeys God. As we read this psalm, and we'll read it, you've probably read it many times, I want you to take notice of a few things. In the first two verses, notice that there's going to be a contrast in the sources of value. Where are the value? There's going to be a source of uh, the blessed man or the righteous man is going to have a source of God's law. And the wicked man, his source uh, where he gets his information is going to be from other wicked people. Notice in verses 3 and 4, there's a contrast in the fruitfulness. The blessed, the righteous man bears fruit. The wicked are fruitless. In fact, they're a waste. And in verse 5 and 6, notice the contrast in the outcome of their lives. And you'll see in verse 5 and 6, the wicked perish, but the righteous the Lord knows and remembers. So let me read this psalm and follow along in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield in its fruit its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The person God blesses, what we're going to look at first, the person God blesses is, is this first point that we're going to look at. The word blessed conveys the idea of happy. And so there's an idea of happiness, but it's not just happiness or joy for no reason. There's actually a, a source, this, the reason for happiness is because there's well-being and righteousness. This person's life is in accordance with what God wants. It's lined up with his word, and so this person is happy. Now in this world, we see people get joy and happiness from many things. And sometimes we think that that person that has the most money, the most fame, the most riches are often the most happy. But we see it very often that even in Hollywood or different situations, people take their lives, they are miserable, there's addictions, they have awful times because they realize the source of true happiness are not things. But we would see a, say a blessed man or the person that God blesses is a happy person because they're living according to what God wants. And what does he say in verse, uh, verse 1? He says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He starts off very clearly in verse 1 saying, Be separate from this world. And this is an outline or kind of an idea that Warren Wearsby, he was a commentator, had, but he has a series called Be This. And all of his commentaries or books basically are in action, Be This Way. And he talks about this passage and he says in verse 1, Be separate from the world. And I thought it was an excellent way that he's put that in the next couple things. And he says, he talks, uh, Psalm 1 talks about this, and he says, Be separate from the wicked sinners and the scoffers. When we look at these three words, you could almost put these in columns or line them up. We see the wicked, the sinners, and then the scoffers. The wicked are people that are against God. The sinners are continually against God, even more in kind of a progression from lesser to worse. So the wicked are against God. The sinners are continually, habitually against God. And the scoffers are actually sitting with others, mocking God, actively doing wrong, and then looking back at God and laughing at him or his commandments. And we would say, definitely, do not take part. Don't be one that walks with the wicked. Don't be one that stands with the sinners. Don't be one that sits in the seat of the scoffer. And you may think, well, Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with people that were rejected by society. And we would say, yes, that's true. But Jesus called them to repentance. Jesus didn't eat with them and hang out with the sinners in society just to have a good time and see what the world was like. Jesus sat with them and called them to repentance. Turn from your sin and trust Christ. So when we see this person that is blessed by God, we see that they're separate from the wicked sinners and the scoffers. They don't walk, they don't stand, they don't sit with these people. And the progression seems to be intentional. Uh, some may say, some say oh, this is just a psalm and just poetry. But I think it's very clear. This person's walking with them, eventually in their midst, standing there, and eventually sitting in the presence of scoffers on the side of the evil one. The person that's blessed by God is one that's going to get their influence from the word and not from evil. Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. 
He tells us, look, if you're being tempted by sinners, if you're being tempted to turn from sin, don't consent. Run from it. Run from evil. At the beginning of camp, when we're there at, at uh, Grandview, they have a big game all week. There are cheers, there's exciting competition at the end of the week, the last day. Uh, one team wins, one team loses, and then you do cheers and you get nothing for it. So, uh, But just the joy of victory, right? But at the beginning of camp, you see some kids are very tentative and reserved. It's their first time at camp. They're sitting back, watching, not get participating, not cheering. Maybe after the first night or the next night, they start to get closer to that group. And usually it's a big huddle. They're kind of on the ball field, like 50 kids jumping around or 60 and yelling or whatever. There may be that one that's off to the side. Maybe just like, I'm just learning, just observing. Two days later, they're in the midst of it. They start to, they may not be yelling. And by the last day, you see a kid like Ian Brister yelling, leading the cheers and going crazy. And you think, what is this kid doing, right? Yelling, hey, you on the fringes, come in, right? It's always exciting to see our, our kids jumping in there, leading some of that. I think of that progression, that's a good thing, getting involved in camp. That's sometimes the progression, though, of influence of the evil, of, of, of the wicked one. Sometimes we see it, maybe we're willing to be around it, walk around it, then we stand in the midst of it, and then eventually... When we fully committed to sin, when we fully committed to say, I'm going to do this and rebel against God, we mock others for not joining us. I've seen this even in people that I know from different years that I spent, uh, either in college or other schools or times, where they said, I want to serve God. Maybe they even went to camp and said, I'm going to obey God with my life no matter what. 15, 20, 30 years later, they get to a point, they say, you know, that was just foolish. Now anybody that serves God or worships God in that way, they're misguided. They don't know the truth. And you see that they've become a scoffer. Who has the influence in your life? Is it the wicked? Is it scoffers? We go on to verse 2. And this contrast is here between the wicked man and the righteous man, the blessed man and the wicked And the righteous man, the blessed man, in verse 2, says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The second point we need to see is that we need to be saturated with the word. Saturated with the word. Be saturated with the word so that the influence of the wicked and the world don't overwhelm you. Be saturated in the world. It says uh, the word is delight in the law. It's a sense of pleasure or satisfaction with God's word. The righteous are not controlled and captivated by the world's influence, but the righteous are captivated by the the word of God and the influence on our life. Specifically, this is regarding the Old Testament Torah and the Old Testament scriptures when it was written, but we should understand that also now for the whole word of God, the, the New Testament scriptures. And it says to meditate on the law to consider, to ponder, to weigh, and internally dwell upon God's word, day and night. You see this when it says day and night. There have actually been some in history that say, I'm going to wake up every hour to study God's word or to read it because it says day and night. That must mean every single hour of the day. It really is a merism, which is you're taking two extremes that cover the whole. So if you said, I went and I searched 
I lost my phone and I searched in my house. I searched high and low. That means you searched everywhere. And so this, the psalmist is saying, I, uh, you should know and, and meditate on the word of God day and night all the time. Doesn't mean that you need to set your alarm for 3 a.m. to study God's word. Although, if God wakes you and you can't sleep, it's not a bad thing to look at and meditate on. God's word should be a delight to us. It should be something we study, we learn, we love, and influences our life. Psalm 119, every verse in that psalm talks about the word of God or the law of God. And verse 1 in that says, Blessed are those who keep his way, uh, whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. And Psalm, psalm 119, 9 and 10 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And we see constantly throughout Scripture, especially in the Psalms, that the Word of God is the way that guides us. The Word of God is what keeps us close to God. He has given us this book so that we can know Him and know how to live to please Him. Now, if your goal in life is to please yourself and to make yourself happy and be satisfied and have ease, don't study the Word of God. If you want to go with your own desires and live your own life, don't look at the Word of God because it's going to tell you how to please God and not your own desires. It's going to tell us how to be blessed by God and not get our own way. The Word of God really shows us what God wants us to do in every situation. And so we delight in the Word. We meditate in it. When we think of the word delight... It's interesting because I don't think of a lot of, when I think of delight, I think of like desserts and uh, ice cream, bluebell especially, um, cookies and cream. And uh, so you think about those things, those are delights. Do I love the Word of God that much? Do I meditate it on it? Every year, uh, my dad and me and my brothers, we put in uh, for something called there's a drawn hunt system in Texas. What that means is you can hunt in certain parks or places that are basically off limits all year round, but you put in for like, it's kind of like a lottery system or, a, or a, it's, we're not playing gambling. It's just you're trying to draw a tag to hunt somewhere. And that's how it is in most states or in a lot of different places. And each year I put in for spe special ones and sometimes we'll get drawn and uh, go and be able to have a unique hunt that we, we don't get to go to very often. And when we go to those, they give you a booklet or a paper of all the rules and the instructions. And you know what? I study those very carefully because I want to be able to know what I'm supposed to do. I follow the rules. I want to be able to have a successful hunt. I want to not be in trouble for what I kill or what I get, right? I would like to not be banned from going back to it. And so I look at that. You may, may be like, hunting's not my thing or whatever it is, but you probably have a hobby or something that you love and you study and you invest in. Maybe it's some kind of sports or some kind of thing that you, you just dwell on. And I think about those hunting books. I dwell on those, meditate on them almost day and night up to the three or four days before the hunt. So I know what I'm doing is not right or, or, or is right and not against the law. And then I think about how do I study God's Word. Let me set it on the table and see if I can wipe the dust off of it every few weeks to make it look fresh. Or maybe you just think, I'm going to start studying the Word of God or reading or just looking at it, but it just never happens. 
sometimes it's because we don't delight in it, because we don't dwell in it, and we don't want to meditate on it because it's hard. And God says the righteous person, the blessed person, meditates on His Word day and night. You may say, well, I've struggled with that. It's okay. God is a compassionate God and forgiving. And He loves us. And He wants us to keep going back to His Word. We may miss a few days. Get back in His Word. Meditate on it. I don't read well. There's tons of audiobooks. If you've not heard of MP3s, those have been out for a little while now. So, you know, podcasts that just have the Bible. There are tons of ways for us to consume God's Word, to tr- truly meditate on it day and night. Psalms put to, to put to music so we can meditate on the Scripture. Get the Word of God in your life so you can know God and what He wants us to do. This really is a passage about influence. What is influencing your life? Is it the wicked? Or is the influence in your life God's Word? What is the influence? Is it TikTok or the law of God? Social media or God's Word? Cable news or God's Word? Netflix or God's Word? What do you meditate on? We see in verse 3 the need to be situated by the waters. So point one and, and the third point under that, we need to be situated by the waters. It says in verse 3, He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The righteous person is compared to a tree planted by the water. A person delighting in God's word and meditating upon it is a person that's going to be fruitful in all of life. He's going to be fruitful in all that he does. This isn't just a one-time thing in the scripture too. It's not just said this once and said like, study the word of God, but it never comes back to it. This is over and over again telling us to learn the word of God. Jeremiah 17, uh, 7 and 8 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. See if this kind of sounds like the psalm that we're, we're in. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and, who, and does not fear when heat comes, for its, its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Being in God's Word with His people in the way that He wants is worth it. It helps us to be fruitful in all of life. I was with a missionary. We served in Taiwan for a few years, and his goal in life, his life verse, Matt Hanna, and he was here for actually my ordination for years years ago, but his verse in life, or the thing that he always said is, I want to have fruit that remains. He wanted his life to bear fruit that remained other people that continued to follow Jesus. He also, uh, we also see that a person that dwells on God's word and dwells with his people is going to be a person that is full of life, prosperous for the Lord. The, person, the idea of being prosperous here doesn't mean that you're going to be rich, although that's sometimes nice, but oftentimes that can distract us from following God. It doesn't mean that we must generate some huge income for God, but it means that we're profitable for worshiping our king. Are you profitable in bringing glory to God? Are you profitable in worshiping King Jesus? Joshua 1.8 says this, The book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Following the Word of God helps us to be prosperous and successful 
not monetarily, but for God's glory. We serve God so that we can follow Him and give Him glory. And he says a person that does this is like a tree that has roots by a river that are able to soak up and able to sustain even in tough times and bear fruit. When we drive from uh, McAllen, or Mission, or Palmhurst here, all the way to Eager, Arizona, and actually up the mountain, we, cro- we follow actually the Rio Grande for a long ways. When we get to El Paso, you go straight north into, we go straight north into New Mexico, and along the side of the road, you can see it pretty often, is the Rio Grande. And that's uh, right there, you would look and look around and you would see almost desert area everywhere. You look, there's scrub brushes or brush, there's just hardly anything, any life. But then sometimes you'll see by the river, huge trees. Some of those trees are called cottonwood trees, which are not, even not as popular because some of the other trees have taken over. But they're a huge tree that often was called the water tree by settlers that came through that time. They would look and see this huge tree, and they would call it the water tree, and now we call them cottonwoods, but they would be up to 80 to almost 100 feet tall. They're almost some of the ones in that area from, uh, there's a place that we, one of the roads or places we stopped called Truth or Consequences. It's a literal city, Truth or Consequences, to about Santa Fe. There's these cottonwood trees that still live in that area that are almost 100, 100 years old or even more. They're strong, deep-rooted, giving life to all those around, even in the midst of a desert, because they're near the life-giving water. They're near what gives and sustains life. And when we stay by the Word of God, with the truth of God, following our God, we will be like that person planted, we will be that person planted by the river of water giving out fruit, blessing other people. But when we ignore the Word of God and run from it, we sometimes use our words, our life, our attitude to hurt others. Parents and even dads here on Father's Day. I mean, what are our influences in our family? Is the Word of God influencing us and giving life-giving sustenance to our families? Or are we allowing the world to dictate what happens? Then it goes on in the rest of this passage in verse 4, and it kind of a contrast here. We see the person God judges. We first saw the person God blesses in the first three verses, really clear indication there. And now the second part, the person God uh, judges, is here in verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like a chaff that the wind drives away. And that was a comparison with verse 3. I mean, there was a life-giving, fruit-bearing a person that's dedicated to God. But the wicked, verse 4, they're not like that. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The contrast is drastic. The wicked are fruitless, worthless. They waver and fall. The wicked are like fruitless waste, worthless It's the chaff. It's this husk. So when you separate the grain, there's a little part of it that would blow away. And the winnowing, or when they sort and sift the grain, the chaff just blows away. Has no depth, no influence, no permanence, no roots. It's completely worthless. It has no use. That's the wicked. A person that is against God and does not submit to Him, 
is really called in this passage worthless. And if you're a person that says, I'm going to associate with the wicked, and I'm going to run against God, you have to understand you will be judged, and God in some sense is calling that person worthless. And it's an awful place to be called, or be in a position to be called by God worthless, of no use, of no value. God created you to bring glory to Him. And when you don't want to bring glory to Him, and you want to run against Him, and say, I'm not going to please God, the Creator, then you may not have... I mean, of course, every person is created in God's image. There's of little value because the wicked will be destroyed. And there is a lake of fire that will be, be reserved for the wicked. As the pastor said in one of the messages there at camp, he said, the lake of fire is reserved for Satan and the demons, not for you. So don't go there, so trust Jesus. But unfortunately, many people are going to choose and say, I'm running against God and I'm going to live the life of the wicked. God says, don't be like that. Be like that stable tree planted in God's ways, doing His will. It says in verse 5, the wicked aren't going to stand. They're not going to be able to be in the congregation. The wicked will eventually waver and fall. They're not going to be able to be there. Their doom is apparent. It's coming. God will sort them and sift them out. Verse 1 in this chapter cautions readers to beware of seeking and accepting the influence of the people, the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers, or taking up residence there. He gives us this warning and says, don't be with them. Why? Because these sinners, as it says in verse 5, they won't stand in the final judgment. They won't be able to stand in God's presence. He will cast them out. Nor will these guilty ones be able to associate with the assembly of those who are declared righteous in that judgment day. Praise God, there's a new creation. And one of the, uh, be, believe Ian mentioned that in his testimony. And there's a day that we will stand together with other believers praising God. But if you are not a child of God, if you've not submitted to King Jesus, trusted in Him and repented of your sins, you will not be there in that congregation. You will not be able to stand with the congregation in the presence of God because you will not have His righteousness if you think that your own righteousness will get you there, there's no chance. You need the righteousness of Christ. And that is when you submit to Him and say, King Jesus, I trust in You. I submit to You and I repent of my sins because You are the one that has the righteousness I need. And it says in verse 6, The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are warned that they will perish. There is an ultimate judgment coming. The destruction will happen. Ultimately, we will see that there are those that submit to King Jesus and there will be those that don't. This is really a passage about two ways to live, two people to submit to, two, peop two influences to get. You can either be submitting to God or following the way of the wicked. You can be learning His Word, loving it and meditating in it, or you learn the, learn the way of the wicked and you follow that. And you will eventually... Either stand with God in His presence, or you will be judged for eternity. God knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. John 3.16 is probably as familiar a verse as any in the Bible. And it says this, but we're going to read following that. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God wants you to submit to him and come to him and say, you are my king, I believe in you. I repent of my sins. It says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. There's no judgment. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Admit that you're a sinner. Trust in Christ. Believe in the payment He made. Confess your sin and commit your life to worshiping Him. But there may be some in this congregation even today that say, I don't want to submit to God. I would rather spend my life with the wicked because it's just more enjoyable. I get more pleasure out of it. And I would tell you, that may be temp- or that is temporary, and you may think that way, but judgment will come. And so make the choice to submit to, to God. Follow Him. The Blessed One follows Him. And as we finish, I want to think about this verse 6 for just a moment. But when we're at Grandview Camp, so they have this really nice building that's like the, where you come into, you, there's a camp store, they have the dining hall, and then the dining hall, you come into it, it's on one floor, but they have something that we don't have here in the valley, it's called basements, or like a second floor, right? There's not many of those because we don't have hills, right? The building's built on a hill, so the first floor goes out and on the back, you look down about 20 feet over the people down there, or the people playing games, you see the ball field, you can see everything, it's beautiful. You can go down in the basement, just walk out and go play the games. Sometimes when you stand on that lodge up there or stand on that, stand on that upper floor and you look down, kids are playing a game called nine square or pl- throwing a football or they're out on the ball field and you don't, they don't know that you're there. They don't see you. They kind of are oblivious and you're just there enjoying it as one of the sponsors. And you might say later, hey, I saw you made a great play here in this game. Hey, I saw you tackled this person when you probably shouldn't have. Or, hey, I saw you broke the nine-square game. Oh, you saw that? Yeah, I was up here. I, I know it, right? That elevated viewpoint gives a great perspective of what's taking place. It gives us an idea that we can see and we know what's going on over, the, over a long ways. We can see so far. And that idea of knowledge is so wonderful. We see in the verse, verse 6, it says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And as you would look out and see over that land, you can see and know what's going on. But our God who reigns and sits in heaven looks out and He knows those that are following Him, the blessed and the righteous and the ones that are choosing the path of the wicked. And so in one way, when you're at the top of that, or when you're there and your sponsor says, hey, I saw what happened, I know what happened, all of a sudden there can be a sense of dread. Oh, he knows. Or you can say, I, I saw what happened, I, I know what's going on. And there can be a sense of comfort because they're there to care for you. It says in John ten fourteen, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says this, I know my own and my own know me. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows who are His, 
and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What influences your life? Is it the wicked? What are the things that are consuming you? Are you sitting in the seat of the scoffer, mocking the things of God? Are you drifting that way? Or are you dwelling in God's Word, delighting in it, and saying, God, I want to know you and to make you known throughout the world? Is God's Word a delight to you? Who are the chief influences in your life? What is the chief influence in your life? God knows. And believers, if you're struggling, and you're downcast, and you're upset, or you're going through trials, and you think nobody knows and nobody cares, God does. God knows the way of the righteous. He knows what's going on. He knows who His children are. He tells us, turn from iniquity and follow Him. An extremely familiar passage, extremely basic truth, follow God and not the wicked. But yet, I find that it's a struggle in my life and probably many of ours. May it be a challenge to us today to say, God, let me ask for forgiveness. Turn back to you. Put your word in the place that it should be in my life as a priority and surrender to King Jesus. And if you've not trusted him today, please get with me or pastor, somebody else here, We'll talk to you about submitting to King Jesus and trusting in him so that one day you can stand in the congregation with us in glory.